James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, they say this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray for the Spirit's help. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and illuminate these texts to us. We pray that we'd be informed in our knowledge of Scripture today, transformed by the renewing of our minds, conformed to the image of Christ, and recommissioned on the Great Commission. Lord, help me, frail as I am, to serve us well in this time. In Jesus' good name, amen. All right, so one of the questions we have to answer right off the bat with this particular text is how do we interpret it? And this question comes up with every passage, but particularly in the book of James, because we got to wrestle with these little individual kind of one-off commands. They're very proverb-like in nature. Are they meant to be understood as standalone directives, or are they part of the context? Now, every Bible passage, the context matters greatly, but I mean it in a very specific sense here. Is James beginning a new thought, or is he fleshing out the previous thought? And here's what I think. I think he is fleshing out the previous thought. Because if you think about what we learned last week, what was it about? It was about not simply being a hearer of the word, but being a doer of the word. And so what we have in these two little verses here are three ways to be doers of the word. Three ways to flesh out what he was talking about last week. Now, do they stand alone individually? They do. But I think if we want to understand this rightly and squeeze the most juice out of the orange that we can, we need to understand it in the way that James intended it as fleshing out that doing of the Word. So, so really what we're going to have here is uh, three little mini-sermons that deal with what he is talking about here. And I'll go ahead and make you aware, James uses some language in a way that is different then we use the language, and so we need to pay careful attention to that, particularly here with the first one. Let's take a look at it. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So let me give you the point first, and then we'll break it down. God cares about the way we use our mouths. God cares about the way that we use our mouths. Now let's unpack it. This word religious here... It's an interesting word. It actually only uh, occurs, occurs in its adjectival form. This is the only time it's used like this in the New Testament. Uh, the, the, the noun form of this word occurs four times in the New Testament, two of which are right here in these two verses. But when we hear this word, we typically don't respond to it the way that James is using it. So what he's talking about here is he's talking about the external acts of religion, public worship, fasting, giving to the needing and uh, needy, so on and so forth. And so he uses it in a positive way, but typically most of us in our context, we react to this because we see it in a negative way. We don't want to be religious. In fact, that's one of the, the worst things a Christian could be called, right? Oh, that person is religious. Because what that is usually used to mean is some kind of hyper-fundamentalist, Hide in the basement bunker, throw the King James Bible at people from 30 yards, see if you can get them, you know, learn how to strangle people with your clip-on tie. Like, that. that is 
the way that we often hear this, and we want to avoid that, so we kind of react negatively to that. But that's clearly not the way James is using this word. Like I said, he's using it in a positive sense to talk about the external implications of faith in Jesus. So I think a better way for us to understand this would be more like this. If anyone thinks they are truly following Jesus, if anyone thinks they are worshiping God rightly, then certain things have to be true. And what James says here, and again, this is interesting as well, he says if, you th- if the person thinks that they are religious and they do not bridle their tongue, and the language that he's using there is very uh, visceral, very pictorial. Uh, one commentator said it like this, that that person lets his tongue go like an unbridled horse. Then if that's what's happening, then two things are subsequently occurring. Number one, that person is deceiving his heart which again is very interesting because we like to think of behavior as, oh, it's all about the top and it's this top of the iceberg stuff. But James says, no, it's about the whole iceberg. Behavior comes from the heart. You don't want to deceive your heart. And then also that person's religious, uh, their religion, their outward uh, faith expression, so to speak, that it's worthless. And so what he's saying here is you can't say that you follow and love Jesus and worship God rightly and then speak however you want. You can't just be, hey, I'm a Christian, but I'm also a big fat liar. Or, hey, I'm a Christian, but gossip is totally my jam. Or, hey, I'm a Christian, look at my face, my smiling, happy face, and listen to my Christian music and see my Christian t-shirts, but man, I love me some backbiting. And I love me some profligate swearing every time I get a chance. You can't have it both ways. That's what James is saying. He's saying that if you're going to follow Jesus, then your walk has to match your talk, and your talk has to match your walk. Now, it's also important to understand here that James is he's talking about this in a habitual way. Because here's what I know. I know myself, first of all, and I also know you. And there are times that all of us are taking on some home repair project that we probably shouldn't be involved in in the first place. But as a man, we have to try these things, right? And every once in a while, somebody drops a tool on their foot and they say something that they shouldn't say. Now, I'm not saying that's okay. That's not okay. But what he's talking about here is this consistent pattern of misuse of the tongue, of uh, potty mouth, you might call it if you have toddlers. And he's saying, listen, that's not who we are as Christians, and that's not, uh, that's not who we're to be about as Christians. And think about the context into which James would have been saying this. These are persecuted people. They've been scattered. They're struggling. And he is reminding them, even in the midst of their, their great difficulty, listen, you can't just say and do what you want. Christianity leads to a certain kind of behavior, and that sphere of Christ's lordship extends to your mouth. So gossip's off limits, lying's off limits, any other sin from the mouth is off limits, and you need to hear it. Now, this is also right in line with what Jesus says. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, uh, verses 33 and 34, he's in a heated exchange with the Pharisees, and here's what he says. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, very strong language there. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
Paul, same kind of idea, Ephesians chapter five or chapter four, uh, verse twenty-five, and then again at verse twenty-nine, twenty-five, he talks about lying. He says, "Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth that is uh, speak the truth with his neighbor." And then four verses later, he says, "Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths." And that's a fascinating uh, set of Greek language there because it actually means like rotting garbage that we want our uh, mouths to bring light and life, but they are also capable of corrupting talk, dumpster discussion, and we don't need to be about that as Christians. So, we're understanding the significance of what uh, James is saying here, and we're understanding the weight of it. Now, let me give you one uh, example here from church history that I think is, is, is pretty profound as well. John Calvin, who was often the victim of the kind of speech that James is saying is off-limits here, had this to say. When people shed their grosser sins, they are extremely vulnerable to contract this complaint. A man will steer clear of adultery, of stealing, of drunkenness. In fact, he'll be a shining light of outward religious observance, yet will revel in destroying the character of others. Under the pretext of zeal, but it is a lust for vilification. This explains the bloated pharisaical pride that feeds indulgently on a general diet of smear and censure. Now, that probably took all of our brain cells to try to understand exactly what Calvin was saying. But let me break it down real simply for us. He's saying that Christians can get really good at avoiding kind of the the big stuff. I'm not going to do drugs. I'm not going to jump in the bed with somebody I'm not married to. I'm not going to steal and uh, shoot people and so on. But I will easily fall into these habits and patterns that are also problematic. And Calvin would say, Jesus would say, Paul would say, James does say, that's not okay. So what do we do with this? Well, I think, number one, we let James... Speak for himself, and we feel the weight of this. And I don't think you can hear this and really hear it and not be convicted. But the answer here is not to despair. It is to depend. It is not to beat yourself up and say, man, I'm just so awful in this area. Yeah, yeah, we know. We're all awful in this area. But it's to say, but Jesus wasn't awful in that area. And he wants to help me in this area. So the most logical thing I can do as a Christian is to turn from that sin and trust in Jesus to help me with it. So whatever your problem is this morning, whether it's uh, lying, gossip, backbiting, uh, swearing, any or all of the above, the answer, the solution is Jesus. So let's hear that conviction But let's also hear the good news and the comfort of the gospel as Jesus helps us in this area. Now, that's not all that James has to say here, because in the second half of that verse, he pivots and he goes from talking about religion that is worthless to religion that is worthy. Look at it. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, here's what's interesting here. Not only is he using religion in a positive way, but he's also bringing in some language that he's going to use again in verse 27 
that actually bears a striking resemblance to the Old Testament in how the writers there talked about the spotless lamb that was used in the sacrificial system that also clearly points to Jesus. So he's saying if you want to live your faith in a way that is acceptable to God, here's two ways that that's going to flesh itself out. So the second point is this. Pure religion cares about orphans and widows and all those in need. Pure religion cares about orphans and widows and all those in need. And now orphans and widows here means what you think it means. It means orphans and widows. But it is also used in a kind of expansive uh, set of terminology because those two groups were used kind of a shorthand for everybody that was in need at this time uh, in Jewish culture. They would have been the most uh, needy, the most desperate, so to speak, and the, the Greek word here actually for affliction means pressure, that they were under pressure from not having enough food, not having enough clothing, so on and so forth. And he's saying, listen, if you really want to live your faith out in practical ways, you want to do the word, you cannot be indifferent to the plight of those who are in need around you. And you cannot care just in principle. You also have to care in practice. So to take that a step further so that there's no confusion, we can't just think that it's good that somebody somewhere is doing something for orphans and widows. We need to be doing something about orphans and widows. And again, this terminology is for everyone in need. So let's kind of flesh this out. So uh, you see this throughout the Bible. Let me give you just one example here, and I want to acknowledge a debt to the Preach the Word commentary. I love their material. Uh, they were particularly helpful with this. <coughs> Consider just a few uh, verses here from Isaiah 1. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed beasts, I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. So God has always cared about orphans and widows and those in need. And if we are going to be God's people, we must also care. And it can't just be in principle. It has to be in practice. What about the New Testament? John says the same thing. First John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. <clears throat> but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So this is like the first one. We're like, man, we can't get away from this. This is like National Conviction Day at church. But I think that's part of why this is so helpful to us, because James is not messing around. And we are used to living in a culture that is word salad about everything. I probably watched more news in the past few weeks 
uh, because of what's going on in Ukraine, and I want to try to keep up. And I will hear these commentators ask people questions, and they just won't answer them. I mean, they will talk sort of around the topic and so on and so forth, but they just won't give an answer. James is exactly the opposite. And friends, we need that kind of clarity when it comes to our souls, and we need that kind of clarity on issues like this. So let me give you some good news in the midst of all of our heaviness. We do this as a church. We want to do this even more as a church. Some ways that we've done it, uh, I've mentioned this to you repeatedly uh, throughout the course of the pandemic. We've gotten multiple phone calls from multiple families in transition, uh, homeless, need groceries, whatever, so on and so forth. And we have responded and helped those uh, as best we can. And some of them we have helped multiple times. So we are about this. Uh, in, in addition to that, a portion of the money that, that we give away, there's always a helping component to whoever it is, whether it's Acts 29 or, or some other uh, group, there's always a portion of that that ends up going to exactly this kind of work. But here's the thing. It's not enough for us as Christians to, to say, I go to a church that helps do this kind of thing, because this is all of our responsibility. And one of the ways that I think uh, even people who love Jesus and the Bible deeply, we, we can kind of miss the bus on this a little bit, is to just say, okay, well, I, I did that this way, so now I don't bear any personal responsibility. And what I think James is saying to us here is we all bear personal responsibility. It's not enough just to care in principle. We have to care in practice. And here's the honest truth. This is actually true for every church, but I'll certainly say it for this church. The greatest impact that we will make is likely not through what we do together. It's what we do when we're not together. Because every single one of us that is here has multiple spheres of influence. You have neighbors that I'll never know. You have coworkers that I'll never meet, that the other people in your community group may not meet. And God has strategically and sovereignly placed us in that orbit and he has given us good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. And it includes caring for orphans and widows and people in need. So let's take this a step further. You may go to an office, if you work anywhere in this area, where everybody probably rolled up in a fairly nice car and they go home to a fairly nice house and they're probably paying their bills. But do you think that means they don't have real need in their lives? Oh, friends, if you scratch below the suburban surface that we all see, you're going to find some real serious need. And so part of how we can live this out is by being aware of that and looking for opportunities to step into that, to be light and life and speak truth and to help out very practically when it's needed. And so my encouragement to you is to say, let's be thankful for the work that we do together and let's also be about doing this same kind of work out in the community. Now, in addition to those spheres of influence, what are some other ways we could practically put feet on this? Well, uh, there are plenty of good organizations, uh, some of which we've actually given to over the years that I would commend to you that you could also partner with. Uh, great, uh, Grace Works is a great organization that you could go volunteer at if, if the Lord is speaking to your heart that way today through this. Uh, One Gen Away which is a food bank ministry, works with uh, food instability here uh, around the whole metro. You could partner with them. 
the nesters are involved with a, with a group uh, uh, called the branch that, could, that you could help with. There are lots of ways that you could care very practically in light of what we're talking about here. So it's kind of like that first point. It's hard to hear, but it's also like, man, we need to hear this. So the, the question that I would ask, and let's start with the epicenter of the text here, is how are we caring for orphans and widows in practice and not just in principle? Some of you, you literally have a widow in your life, and you're caring for them. God bless you. Keep up the work. Some of you, adoption is something you've been a part of or it's something you're considering or foster care, so on and so forth. We want to come alongside and support and help and encourage you in any way that we can with that. But then for everyone else, what are the things that the Lord might use this message and this text to draw out of us and say, hey, this is something that's been on my heart? And man, that scripture, it was the nudge I needed to, to move in this direction. Friends, we want to grow in doing the word in all ways, but in this way, specifically today. So let's hear what the Spirit is saying to us through this. All right, one more point that we need to make here comes from the second uh, half of verse 27. And uh, let me give you the... Uh, uh, the point first, and then we'll break it down. Third point, pure religion also pursues holiness. Pure religion also pursues holiness. Now look at it. So it says to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so that uh, obviously follows the and that is connected to religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. And again, this language here, uh, the, the unstained, it recalls, the sacrificial language of that lamb from the Old Testament, Exodus 12, you also see it in 1 Peter chapter 1. And so when he's talking about being unstained from the world, what he's talking about here is uh, the Expositor's Bible Commentary says it like this. The world describes the total system of evil that pervades every sphere of human existence and is set in opposition to God and to righteousness. Now, on the one hand, I'm like, yes, I totally agree. It's talking about that, uh, the, the, the world system, the way of thought. And at the same time, I'm also kind of like, well, I can't get away from it because this is where I live. And living on the moon is not an option for me. And I'm sure Elon is working hard, but it's not looking good for Mars at the moment. And even if he did get it fixed and could land all those rockets and not blow us up, when you take sinners from here and you put sinners up there, guess what? The world goes with us, even to Mars. And so when we think about how to flesh this out, there's always going to be this tension that exists when coming to talk about this. Another one is, okay, well, the answer is I am going to become that person that I wink, wink mentioned at the front of the sermon that does hide in the bunker and completely separates him or herself from the world. But the problem with that is, so if these people over here need the gospel, and you're over there hiding in the bunker, they're probably not going to get your King James lob all the way over here and magically understand it. So, so how do we make this work? And so the way that I was kind of trained in this is, is a phrase like this, that we need to be in the world, but not of the world. We got to be out there. We got to be doing the things, 
got to be, uh, you know, on the ball teams, going to the offices, you know, getting to know the neighbors, so on and so forth. But we need to do that in such a way that we are not becoming, to use James's word, stained by the world. And again, this is hard because I, one of the commentators that I looked at on this, his answer was basically like, okay, so that means you don't watch these TV programs and you don't watch these movies and you basically do kind of take this separatist approach. I, I totally understand what this person is saying. I totally get it. And they actually have a point. And I also would go so far as to say, I think there are certain things that we don't need to watch and we don't need to, you know, we got to monitor our inputs significantly, but it's not as simple as simply saying, I'm not going to watch this level of movie or I'm not going to, you know, it, it, it's more complicated than that. Because if you only take that approach, <laughs> you're right back to what James says, don't do. You're defining religion of like, these are my externals, but I'm completely worldly in how I think about money and how I think about parenting and how I think about my physical body. You think about that. It can't just be external modification. You have to deal with the heart. You've got to think through this. And so I think part of the application for us here uh, is a couple of fold. My assumption for all of us is that we are stained by the world. We just are. And so the question that I've been asking myself all, the, all week, and then as I want to go forward in applying this, because I'm not going to tell you to do something that I'm not trying to do, is that I'm asking, Lord, help me see where I'm already contaminated, where I'm already stained, and I need to repent of that, and I need to rethink my thinking about X, Y, Z, whatever it is, and Holy Spirit, give me better insight of what particular media choices might need to be off limits for me, and, and, and other things. Social media is probably a bigger deal than actual media, because attached to each one of those little Instagram posts is usually some kind of worldview. And so we got to think very discerningly how we need to move forward with this. And I think in our day, I've actually, I've been a Christian long enough that I have seen every single side of this issue. I have seen the radical fundamentalism, but I have also seen the literal overdose on Christian liberty. And both of those ditches, I don't think is, is trending in the direction that James would have us go here. And part of what makes this one hard is that we're not going to sort it out in this conversation, that it is complex, and that it is the kind of thing that different people's convictions are going to rest in certain, uh, certain places. But this is something that we've got to wrestle with. And my experience is, is that, that most Christians, they don't wrestle with holiness enough. They just look and say, okay, well, this is what I'm comfortable with or not, and that there's no more thought after that. And I would say I think that is moving in the wrong direction, that that's being okay with being stained by the world and not thinking enough about it. So part of what I hope to do with this point, the others are very obvious and practical, this is, this is what we need to be about. But this one I think is a little more like I'm going to need to give this some more thought. And I'm going to really need to wrestle with what are the things that the Spirit is saying to me in light of this text 
where I'm already stained and I need to have Jesus clean me up and I need to make some better choices uh, so that I'm not further stained in this area and also to see that it is not simply I'm going to avoid these kinds of obvious errors, but this speaks to a whole lot of other issues as well. Now, let's bring all this together. Because where does it all come together? Friends, it comes together in Jesus. And if we can't see the greatness of Jesus and our deep and abiding need for Jesus in this passage, then we are completely asleep. Because look back at it. Who is the ultimate religious man in the positive way that James is speaking about here? It's the Lord Jesus. He is the only one who was able to completely bridle his tongue and never deceived himself. Everything that Jesus said needed to be said, and it needed to be said the way that he said it. we got to see the greatness and the glory of Jesus in that. What about this? Who better shows us God's heart for orphans and widows than the Lord Jesus? You think about all those ministry miracles that he did. Uh, Some of them specifically dealt with orphans and widows. But all of the teaching that he did, one of his chief uh, beefs with the Pharisees was how they treated orphans and widows and people in need. Part of the deal about cleansing the temple was over this very issue because the people who needed the most help were being exploited the most. And then when you extrapolate this out further and you think about the fact that every one of us was a spiritual orphan and Jesus came and lived and died and rose again so that we might be made sons and daughters of God. Friends, this passage leads us right to Jesus. And how about this? The one that did fully keep himself unstained from the world. That's only true of Jesus. And yet, in the midst of all of our stains, he comes and he offers us true cleansing. Not just of the behaviors, but of the heart behind them. That we take him, our stony, rocky hearts, and he gives us a new one. That we take our great filth, and he washes it whiter than snow. Friends, the Lord Jesus is our hero and he is our helper. The Lord Jesus is the one that we need to look at through the lens of this passage and say, man, I'm so glad that I'm his friend, that I'm his child, that he is my helper, and that he loves me enough to speak the truth to me in love through his servant James. So let me end this message with two questions. Number one, do you know this Jesus? Have you come to the place that you've turned aside from trying to save yourself and you've gone all in to trust in Christ? If you haven't, let today be the day of salvation. Turn from your sin, trust in Christ. When the rest of us take communion, you hold off. Let's talk. We want to see you meet Jesus. And second, if you have, where do you most need his help today? Where has he just really got your attention today? Is it about your mouth? 
Is it about caring for orphans and widows and those in need? Or is it in really thinking through what does holiness look like for me in this context? Friends, wherever it is, I'll tell you right now, He will help you this week. He will help you today. Let's ask for it now. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you do love us enough to tell us the truth. And we just pray that we would hear it and that we would be appropriately convicted and that we would also be deeply comforted. Lord, nobody wins if we just walk away from here feeling guilty. But everybody wins if we walk away from here being changed. And Lord, that's what I pray for. I pray that you would help us as individuals. I pray that you would help us as families. I pray that you would help us as a church. That you would give us light and life and wisdom for the road ahead. And we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.